You are listening to the Mystical City of God in the Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can do so by heading over to Facebook and finding the Mystical City of God in the Year podcast group. There, you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seed of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 345. We are reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 11, Paragraphs 603 to 610. 603. Besides all this, she was enlightened and renewed in all her faculties, in the manner explained elsewhere, for the beatific vision. When she was thus prepared, the veil fell, and for some hours, wrapped in the intuitive vision of God, she enjoyed the essential fruition and glory in a manner far above that of the saints. She drank the waters of life from their font. She satiated her most burning desires. She reached her center and rested from the swift motion, which she was again to resume as soon as she was to return from her vision. After this vision, she gave thanks to the most blessed Trinity and again interceded for the church. Then entirely refreshed and comforted, the holy angels brought her back to her oratory. There, as described on other occasions, her body had remained in visible form in order that she might not be missed by the faithful. On leaving the cloud in which she had been born from heaven, she prostrated herself as usual upon the ground and humiliated herself for all these favors and benefits more deeply than all the children of Adam ever humiliated themselves for all their sins and miseries. From that time on, as she lived, the promise of the Savior in regard to her was fulfilled, and on all Sundays, after she had done with the exercises of the Passion at the hour of the Resurrection, all her angels raised her in a cloud throne to the Empyrean heaven, where Christ, her most holy Son, came forth to meet her and unite her with himself. The divinity did not always manifest itself intuitively. But aside of this, the effects and participation of this visit were glorious beyond human capacity to comprehend. On these occasions, the angels were wont to sing that hymn, Regina Celi Leta Re, Alleluia. And these were days of solemn festivity for all the saints, especially for St. Joseph, St. Joachim, and Anne, and those more closely connected with her as for her guardian angels. At these visits, she consulted with the Lord about the arduous affairs of the church, pray for it, particularly for the apostles, and return to the earth laden with riches like that ship of the merchant of which Solomon speaks in the 31st chapter of the Proverbs. 604. 
This privilege, although it was a special grace of the Most High, nevertheless was due to the Most Blessed Mary on two accounts. First, because for the sake of watching over the church she voluntarily deprived herself of the joys of the beatific vision, and therefore by the ardors of her love and of seeing God, many times suffered the agonies of death. Hence, in order to preserve her life, it was very proper that she should sometimes enjoy the divine presence, and whatever was possible and proper was due to the mother from her son. Secondly, in renewing every week the memory of the passion of her divine son, she, as it were, suffered it on her own person and died with the Lord. Consequently, it was proper that she should rise with him. As he, however, was already glorified in heaven, it was reasonable that she should, through his presence, be made a participant in the joy of the resurrection, and thus reap the fruits of the sorrows and tears she had sown. Psalm 125.5.605 With regard to the second privilege which the Lord promised her, namely, daily communion, I advert that up to the time of which I am speaking. The great queen omitted holy communion on some days, as, for instance, during the journey to Ephesus during some absences of St. John and on other occasions. Her profound humility induced her to submit to these omissions, resigning herself without complaint and obedience to the apostles. For in all things the great lady was the model and mistress of perfection, teaching us self-denial, also in such things as appear most holy and proper. But the Lord who seeks his rest in humble souls, and above all, desired the rest and live in the heart of his mother, for the purpose of frequently renewing his wonders, ordained that from this time on she should communicate every day for the rest of her life. This will of the Most High Mary perceived in heaven, but being most prudent in all her actions, she resolved to wait until it could be executed in obedience to St. John. For she did all things as a humble inferior and as a subject of those by whom she was to be governed in such things. 606. Therefore she did not herself tell St. John of what she had recognized as the will of God. But it happened one day that the evangelist was very much taken up with preaching, and he let the hour for communion pass. She spoke to her holy angels asking for their advice, and they answered that the command of her divine son ought to be fulfilled, and that they would inform St. John and intimate to him this order of his master. Then one of the angels manifested himself to St. John where he was preaching and said, John! The Most High wishes that his mother, our Queen, receive him sacramentally every day during her life upon earth. Thus reminded, the evangelist immediately returned to the cenacle, where the Most Blessed Mary was waiting for Holy Communion, said, My mother and lady, the angel has told me of the command of the Lord that I administer his sacramental body to thee each day without exception. The Most Blessed Mother answered, And thou, sir, what dost thou command in regard to this? St. John replied, That the command of thy son, my Lord, be fulfilled. And the queen said, Behold me ready to obey in all things as thy servant. From that day on she received Holy Communion every day without exception to the end of her life. Fridays and Saturdays, the days of her exercises, were not expected, while on Sundays, instead of Holy Communion, she was raised to the Empyrean heavens. 607 at the time when she received in her heart the sacramental species, the sacred humanity of Christ manifested itself through them in the form he had when he instituted the blessed sacrament. Although the divinity did not manifest itself in any other than by the abstractive vision now habitual to her, 
Yet the humanity manifests itself to her glorious, much more resplendent and wonderful than at the transfiguration on Mount Tabor. This vision she enjoyed for three consecutive hours after receiving Holy Communion, and its effects upon her were such as cannot be described in words. This was the second reward offered to her by her Divine Son to recompense her somewhat for the eternal glory which she had delayed at her own desire. Besides this, there was another reason for this wonder. The Lord wished to recompense himself and counteract beforehand the ingratitude and lukewarmness and evil disposition with which the children of Adam were to receive and handle the sacred mystery of the Eucharist during the ages of the church. If the Most Blessed Mary had not made up for these shortcomings of creatures, the Lord would have earned no sufficient thanks from his creatures, nor could he have been satisfied with the returns made by men, the institution of this sacrament. Instruction which the great queen of the angels gave me. 608. My daughter, when mortals, having run the short course of their lives, come to the end at which God expects them to merit eternal life, then they will also, by their own experience, see the finish of all their errors and deceits. Then the just will see in what consisted their real salvation and happiness, and the reprobate wherein lay their lamentable and everlasting perdition. Oh, how happy, my daughter, is the man who during the short instant of his life seeks to anticipate the divine science, which he is so soon to possess by experience. This is the true wisdom, not to wait for the end until knowing that end, but look to the end in the beginning of the course and enter upon it, not with so many doubts whether we shall attain the end, but with some security of attaining it. Consider then with what sentiments those must be animated, who at the beginning of a race see a great prize, which they can attain by pressing on their course for a time with great diligence. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Certainly they will set out with all speed, without turning aside or permitting themselves to be detained by any cause whatsoever. And if they press not on, or if they cease to look at the prize at the end of their course, they will be held either as foolish or as ignorant of what they were losing. 609. Such is mortal life of men, a short course, the end of which shall bring to the runner either eternal glory or everlasting torment as a reward or punishment. All men are born to run this race by the use of their reason and free will, and no one, much less the children of the church, can plead ignorance as an excuse. Hence, where is the judgment and good sense of those in the Catholic faith? Why does vanity still retain its hold upon them? Why do they ensnare themselves in the love of what is only apparent and deceitful? Why do they ignore the end to which they shall come so soon? Why will they not understand what there awaits them? Do they perhaps not know that they are born but to die? Psalm 138.49 That life is but momentary, death infallibly certain, the reward or punishment unavoidable and eternal? 2 Corinthians 4.17 what can the lovers of this world answer to these questions? Those that consume all their short life, for even the longest lives are very short, in accumulating honors or riches, in wasting their strength and power, in the enjoyment of corruptible and most vile pleasures. 6.10 Alas, my friend, consider how false and treacherous is the world in which thou art born, and which thy eyes behold. In it I desire thee to show thyself as my disciple, my follower, a child of my desires, and a fruit of my prayers. 
Forget it entirely with a heartfelt abhorrence. Do not lose sight of the end toward which thou runnest so swiftly the purpose for which thy Creator formed thee out of nothing. Sigh for it continually and direct toward it thy anxious solicitude. Do not permit thyself to be drawn away by thy fleeting, vain, and deceitful things of the world. Let the divine love alone dwell in thee and engage all thy forces. For that is not a true love which permits any part of them to be diverted to other things, or which does not free them and mortify them entirely from passing things, and subject them to the one great end. Let this love be in thee as death, Canticle 8.6, so that thou mayst be renewed entirely as I desire. Do not hinder the will of my divine Son in all that he wishes to accomplish in thee, and be assured of his fidelity which rewards a hundredfold. Matthew 19.29 Keep in mind with humble veneration what he has until now wrought in thee, and I exhort thee and admonish thee to experience in thee anew his truths, as I have commended thee. For all this, continue thy exercises with new solicitude in finishing this history, and give thanks to the Lord for the great and inestimable benefits of his having ordered and disposed thy superiors to permit thee to receive him daily in holy communion, preparing thyself for it in imitation of me. Continue also the petitions I have recommended and enjoined upon thee. This concludes our reading today for day number 345. We've been reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 11, Paragraphs 603 to 610. In our reading today, we hear about Mary having her body remain on earth, but really her soul then being taken to the Empyrean heavens. Her body left so that the people would know she was still here and not experiencing such a magnificent event in heaven to be united with her son and with others. As we hear that, maybe it makes us a little uncomfortable. Maybe we're like, that seems a bit odd. It seems crazy. Why would God do this? Is that even possible? Is this magical? Is this a fantasy? And I think the answer, as I was thinking about it today upon my reading, I I thought to myself, well, this might seem a bit strange and odd, but yet nothing is impossible for God. We know that from the angel. Nothing is impossible for God. So we believe then that this could take place, that God can do this, that God could take the soul of Our Lady and bring it into heaven so that she could see the things there, so that she might be consoled, that she might converse with her son and plead for the church, as we heard kind of as an analogy of the 31st chapter of the Proverbs. So it is an interesting account. But just think, Our Lady shows little children visions of hell and heaven, like the Fatima children. Other visionaries have had these experiences. So God has done it for them. So, of course, why couldn't God do it here for his most blessed mother? We also heard that as she would enter, they would sing the Regina Celi Letare, Alleluia, Queen of Heaven Rejoice. So they're acknowledging who Mary is, her role in, in the heavenly realm. But what I specifically enjoyed was the rejoicing of St. Joseph and St. Joachim and Anne and her guardian angels. Because that's something I've contemplated before, the the great joy of heaven when Mary was assumed body and soul. Now, this isn't the assumption. These are just casual visits Mary is making. But the great joy of heaven when they see this woman, the queen of heaven, the queen of angels, the queen of saints, 
And for St. Joseph, the love of his life, for St. Joachim and Anne, their child, and what joy it brings them. And what joy, thinking about heaven rejoicing, does that fill our own heart and our own soul. And then in our instruction today, there is that analogy of the race, running the race. And that's something St. Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have competed well, I have kept the faith. From now on, a crown of righteousness awaits me. And the whole purpose of this analogy, as we hear it today in our reading, as we think about it in the scriptures, the whole purpose of it is to set our eyes on the kingdom of heaven, to know what awaits us, that as we run the race in this life, that we don't take shortcuts, that we don't cheat, that we compete well, that we really give it all, give it our effort, because what awaits us is something even more glorious than when a runner finishes a race. What awaits us is an eternal inheritance. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.